This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. All right, well, welcome to uh, Everyday Theology. It's a little different, as you can tell, if you're watching on Spotify. Um, I'm in person with a guest, which is the first time since pre-COVID, since uh, moving to my new university um, and stealing an office that's not mine, uh, to have someone in person with me. So I'm super excited to have um, Brandon Rickabaugh here. Brandon is a assistant professor of philosophy, right? Palm Beach Atlantic. Um, he's up at my university now. He was giving a lecture last night and, and doing some teaching for us. And so we're going to talk some about that today, about what you talked about yesterday, which I think has a lot of fascinating implications, something that we talk about in the podcast quite often, really, but maybe in a different way. Um, but before we get into that, Brandon, if you wouldn't mind kind of introducing yourself mm-hmm. for our listeners, they get to know you a little bit. And um, yeah. Yeah. So thanks for having me. This is super super exciting for me. Um, yeah, so I did my PhD at Baylor uh, in philosophy, and I uh, had a fellowship where I did neuroscience um, for a year um, as well. I worked mostly on the nature of consciousness and what does that tell us about uh, the nature of human persons, um, what can that tell us about how we know and interact with each other, um, how it is that we um, can know God. Yeah, and then super easy stuff to study. Su- yeah, yeah, all the easy really, questions, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, my dissertation committee warned me. They're like, you're trying to get into something probably bigger than you can pull off. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then and then in the background for me is always this issue of spiritual formation. Um, how is it that my philosophical work serves that? Right. So, like, I was in a room with a group of theologians one time, and they wanted to talk about the Trinity, and I started off by saying, I know we might want to, like, set up the parameters so none of us fall into heresies. But what if we started differently and just said, like, how do we approach this question with eyes to what kind of person is this going to make us and how right. we right. ask it? And well, what question? Yeah, we it's really funny you say that because literally just, I guess the time that this podcast will release two podcasts ago or one podcast, I don't know, maybe a couple podcasts ago, uh, Chris Green and I were talking just about that. You oh. can't talk about the Trinity without falling into heresy, so yeah, why yeah. are we trying to so deeply get there rather than recognizing what it means right right so yes yeah and how is it forming me i think sometimes we we pick topics that might form us in a bad way maybe yeah or even how we approach the discipline always trying to find the whole trying to find you know where can i write a paper on this where's the problem that i can exploit which is funny we're we're not even getting into the thing yet but it's kind of funny that you say that because immediately my mind went to you know, you can phrase this in two different ways and you'll get two different responses. Mm. You can say, how 
you know, there's a sense in the space in which talking about God can actually form us poorly. Yes. And people would go, oh, no, yeah. you can't do that. I mean, if you're talking about God, you're talking about Jesus, you're going to be formed well. But then if you say theology, if you talk about theology, you can be formed poorly or healthily. People are like, oh, of course. Yeah. Right? Like, it's like if you t- use that word, like, it's it's fine. But if you talk about it in terms of God or Jesus, it's like, no, 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 it's always going to be good for you. Yeah. Right? Like, it's kind of one of those misnomers I think people think about theology as, like, this bad thing or can easily delve into the right. bad thing. When just having a conversation about the Trinity or trying to understand, like, God, Spirit, Son. Right. Can actually form you in unhealthy. Oh yeah. Right. Uh, I don't want to say patriarchal, complementarian ways. A lot of, a lot of minefields there, right? Oh yeah. Um, anything else? Life. Oh, I mean, um, I work um, as a fellow at the Martin Institute, which I love, and um, the Dallas Willard Center there. Mm. Our friend Mike, you yeah, know, helps run the or runs the Cultura initiative that I'm a fellow at, and uh, they're all about spiritual formation and making. Um, knowledge of, of um, life with God publicly available. Yeah, that's um, I love my time there, and I I also do work on um, philosophy of technology and how that interacts with theories of human persons, what it does, how it how it um, sneaks in lots of reductionist views that really impact culture. Yeah, and spiritual formation. And yeah. So, so you mean I'm more than how many likes I get on my Instagram is that yes yeah yes shock but yeah oh gosh oh I have a story about that but we've got to move on right so today we're talking about uh disillusionment right um you gave a lecture last night on kind of knowledge and disillusionment kind of knowledge maybe as the fix to disillusionment um and I think we got to clarify we'll we'll clarify that here but you know what brought you before we even I ask you to kind of give an overview what made you want to start thinking about how our culture is disillusioned like was there kind of a a genesis or was there just kind of like a you see this problem and you want to kind of talk about it like what happened there yeah i think that i'm finding now that almost every no i think every philosophical project that i go after is usually trying to figure out what's going inside of me Hmm. so what is consciousness what is a person what you know what am i what's stirring you know what's stirring in me and um, part of the Martin Institute, we had a, um, a group that gathered over the, the, the pandemic, the lockdown and everything, and, and we were just sort of trying to figure out, you know, what's going on in us. And um, through talking um, with other fellows, it became apparent to me that that probably is the best way to characterize what's going on. Mm, yeah. Especially that time when, when, you know, we had these ideas about what would help us, what would keep us safe, what is it that we need to give more time to to, to, to make things better? And, and almost all of those fell apart hmm. as um, we started to see them as, as untrustworthy in the sense they couldn't carry the load we were trying to right. put on them. It, right. They had their rightful place, but the expectations we had on them were too bad, yeah, uh, too big to carry, and, and they fell apart. And so that's, that's why. Real yeah. quick, um, what kind of places? Like when you say like yeah. the load that we are trying to put right. on them. I yeah. think um, political systems, politicians in, in particular, uh, scientists. Uh, the relationship between the two of them, I think, was not at all, even on many people's radar, that science can be politicized. Mm. So whichever way you think politically about how um, the lockdowns or, or just the overall approach to the pandemic was, I think it's pretty clear that 
science became something uh, that was more malleable than people expected. Right. It's not as cut and dry, and it's not as depersonalized. Scientists are humans. Yeah. They have similar sorts of issues that anybody else has in their vocation. Right. That that sort of skew how they do things. Yep. And so we thought, well, science is going to save us like we kind of think as a cultural myth. Um, and, and in many ways, it didn't. In terms of what we were asking to be saved from, it didn't help with our anxiety. Yeah. It didn't help with our, our the breakdown of, of relations, relationships. It didn't help with those sorts of things. But then another big one is the disillusionment in the church. Mm. And like we were talking, a small point I made last night was that that's the big problem. Right. The dissolution in the church. The church was not ready to handle the pandemic. The, the church was just not, it wasn't even on our radar. Yeah. And we didn't have the tools, or I would say, we weren't the kind of people that could really care and love each other and understand what our role was in that. Yeah. That was the big one for me. Yeah. Now, maybe just kind of explain then, when you use this term disillusionment, like, I think... It's, it's a broad term, so kind of what yeah. do you mean by we're disillusioned by the, the church or disillusioned by our political systems? Or... Right, yeah, yeah, good. So, so in the research that I did, and I, I leaned initially very, very heavily on, on psychological studies, and they come up with um, a characterization of what people will report feeling when they go through it. Uh, and so the main, you know, one distinction that they really make is that this is far more damaging than being disappointed hmm. so right. so one is well what is the thing you're disillusioned with um, to count as disillusionment it's got to be something at the core of your understanding of your place in the world and what the world is about yeah so it can't be that just you know um, I ended up getting uh, the wrong degree to get a you know the kind of job I want <laughs> right. it's like it's got to be something or my sports team is actually not good and I've right. just been pretending that they are right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it's got to be something like, look, um, what I thought was at the core of reality, what I thought I was, what I thought kept me safe, um, what I thought made a good person or for a good life, like, I'm, I've, I've come to realize I'm, I'm very wrong about that. Mm. And when I find out that I'm wrong about that, um, anxiety in a very real sense and confusion in a very real sense, and then at some point resentment in a very real, real sense, cynicism, um, it can spill over into to violence. Um, and so disillusionment is this, really this, you know, sort of, you know, the way that Lewis put it was reality is a iconoclastic. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not going to waver based on what you think it's going to be. Right. And so you run into it hard when it's at the core of who you think you are, what the world's about, and when you're wrong. And that's really going to shake us and harm us at a very very deep level right and it can really break apart the sort of communities that you build around that idea yeah and so maybe to move this kind of forward then you know when we talk about disillusionment or when you're talking about disillusionment you know often that kind of comes with kind of sets of knowledge yeah right like you know i believed or i, I thought i knew this yes. one thing and now i'm finding that what i know is wrong and I think that's where it becomes, you know, I think relatable to so many people because I think everyone's gone through those periods, right? Yeah. Like we've all had them, but, you know, to your point, it's been kind of 
really the catalyst of the pandemic, the catalyst of all the conversations around politics and science and, um, you know, that minefield that we probably can't get into, but it's talked a lot about in terms of um, deconstruction. Right. And, you know, and it's, yeah. you know, you, there's two camps, right? It's either it's bad, you're, you're evil for deconstructing, or you can go, I, I recognize what is going on within you, which yes. is so much of that disillusionment, yes. right? So when you were kind of in your lecture, you were talking about kind of this need for, for a grounding in knowledge. And, you know, for me and my own little kind of like minor pushback just here, yeah, but yeah. like just in the kind of thing, you know, knowledge, I think sometimes, and I want you to explain it, but knowledge is, I, I almost want to say as much the problem as it is the solution. Yeah. Right. Because knowledge is what causes the disillusionment mm. or the idea that someone has the right knowledge there you go. causes the disillusionment. Yes. Right. So when you say that kind of knowledge, if you can explain this for our listeners, but like, what does it mean to say that knowledge can fix that issue? Yeah. Right. Like, what do you mean by saying that knowledge can fix our distrust of right. the scientific community or the political right. discourse or whatever it is that we're going through? Good. That's yeah. That's really really important because um, part of the disillusionment, I think, is false. Um, expectations or assumption, you know, false ideas of what is knowledge yeah. and what counts as knowledge. So you got this problem at one level that you mentioned, which is just um, does the solution arise from a view of knowledge or and or does the solution arise from um, individuals that make attributions about who knows what and those fail? Yeah. And those are two different questions. And I think the second one is, 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 the, is probably the, the biggest one is that we attribute knowledge to individuals that we come to realize didn't have it mm. or individuals that claimed to really have the kind of knowledge that that guides life ended up they did not they did not have that yeah so that's a that's a knowledge attribution claim but but notice what's in there is that the realization that they don't know what they're talking about is also a knowledge claim yeah so it's this recognition of look what you are saying about reality is not accurate doesn't meet life right we see it fail and then the way that you came about getting us there and maybe the way that we got there ourselves was not um didn't give us knowledge either right because we weren't interacting with the world as it is and holding our 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 our, our lives or our, who we are and how we form our desires and passions and beliefs and experiences of the world to how the world actually is I want to like hit on that real quick on that knowledge attribution claim because I yeah. think that one's really really interesting, and I think that we actually find that, and maybe this is just me and kind of my own processing what you're saying. Anecdotally, seems to me to be one of the biggest problems that we're dealing with. Yes, because it takes out of the hand of the person. If it's me, I no longer have to actually try to understand or try to gain knowledge whether it's knowledge through, you know, the experiences like we talked about or actual kind of book knowledge, all the different ways of thinking about knowledge, right? I know I, it's almost like the uh, weight of responsibility I'm passing off to someone else, right. right? Like whether that's my pastor, right? I don't have to know. My pastor knows, and I right. just follow my pastor, and, right. you know, we're okay. Or it's politicians, right? right? I will just accept whatever claim that person says, right. 
right. because they're the ones with the knowledge and I don't have it and that's okay, but I can just accept it, whatever they're right. saying. Right. Uh, the same with scientists, right? With, you know, you know, whether you did that in during the COVID era or you did the opposite where you just believe that nothing was true about right. science. Right. 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 Um, to me that maybe that's the, maybe to, just personally one of the most worrisome kind of understandings of knowledge yes. because it takes the responsibility away from me to actually try to understand. Good. Right. Like to, to, to research, to understand. And I don't mean yeah. a Google research of right. like, let me find someone else who has, right. A claim to knowledge and I'll just accept that because that sounds better to me than the other one right right so when you say that like what is our way forward right because that's a really tough thing for a lot of people because they end up just saying well I'm just gonna switch from that person to that person right, right. no that's really really important and I think that's also a confusion about knowledge that we have too so you know I don't think you can come up with a like a necessary a set of necessary and sufficient conditions for what knowledge is I think we can give, um, we can look at particular cases and look at the characteristics that it has. And then more importantly, maybe more importantly, but certainly very importantly, what it gives us, what having knowledge gives us. So it does seem right that I rely on the, on the um, authority of my doctor um, on, you know, take this, um, you know, uh, medicine for, for this treatment. But when the stakes get higher, you know, we want a second opinion. Right. When it's cancer. And, and I think the idea there is that, and, and what we do with our second opinion is not go to a mechanic. You right. Know, or, you know, we go right. to another. So, so we have to recognize there are experts in, in, in the field um, that we need to um, listen to. Um, but, we all, but, but also what's happening with the, with the Internet, good or bad, is that we can also look for other resources on knowledge, um, of knowledge um, attribution claims. But I think we start with experts. We have to be really, really careful about who we think is an expert, right? We got to realize many pastors are no longer experts. Politicians um, are often not experts in what they're talking about. Science scientists, rather, sometimes are not experts on what they're talking about either. When scientists start talking about how it is that we build a just society or how we live a good life or the ethical treatment of people during the pandemic, I just think that's they're not an expert on that. Right. Um, so one is, well, where do we find the sources? And then two is, well, then is there a great passivity that comes from just saying, well, this, this, I'm just going to believe what this person says. Yeah. The passivity there, I think, is actually like a, a mistreatment or a devaluing of knowledge because now I'm not gaining the sorts of things that can help me live well, namely becoming the kind of person that really cares about knowing things in order to steward life well. Right. Like when you become, when you get married, you can read, or like, I know you've got, you know, um, six, is, he, is it one in six months? Uh, nine months? Almost nine. Almost nine months. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're like me, you wanted to read all these parenting books. I'm, you know? I'm bad at that. You're bad at Yeah, yeah. No, my wife's much better at that than me. Well, because, you know, with the neuroscience, which I'm also like super disillusioned with, but, you know, I read this book, Brain Rules for Babies. And what I loved is that the neuroscientist that wrote it just said, hey, look, just about everything that you've read on this stuff is just not at all right or helpful. It's hmm. all stuff to buy. Yeah. You know, um, baby Mozart. And he's like, look, the neuroscience tells us and common sense tells us too that being with your baby, holding your baby, talking to your baby, relating to your baby, that is actually what will provide for its its development and flourishing, yeah. neurologically even. Hmm. So, so I think, okay, well, the neuroscientist is sticking within their field. 
they're also um, telling us that trust your sort of your own insights in your interaction with your children. You're going to come to know them that way. Yeah. Um, and it's not passive. And then they're also very critical of individuals that have claimed to have knowledge about things. They were just selling products. Yeah. Marriage is another, you know, disillusionment in marriage is a huge one, right? When you, when, when uh, divorce happens, people just become unsettled. Yeah. And often it's a failure of knowledge. I didn't really get to know myself. I really didn't get to know my spouse. Yeah. I didn't invest in understanding like what does stir in my heart that, right. that I use to react this way. So, so I want to broaden the notion of knowledge to include experience yeah. or what philosophers can call knowledge by acquaintance or interpersonal or implicit, tacit knowledge. I think it's a, to extrapolate a little bit on kind of that beginning point, you know, it's really fascinating when you start to, it's, it's almost like using disillusionment to help recognize your need for knowledge, right? Versus yeah. having disillusionment be the thing to push you away from, right? And that's, I think you talked a little bit about that last night, right? Like there's different responses to disillusionment, yeah. right? And the best knowledge is, or the best response is probably seeking knowledge, right? Not, so, yeah. not kind of pushing away. But it's interesting because, like, like you said with this neuroscientist here, you know, that's something my wife and I talk a lot about in terms of kind of just anything with social media. Like, yeah. you, you look at it, and I maybe this is why I'm so bad at reading those books because there's a distrust oh, yeah. towards, you know, the next person on social media who says, well, this thing... Uh, you know, this tells us that if you do this with your baby, then this, and I've got a product to help, yeah. right? Like, or yeah. I've got a thing that you can buy and it's going to fix that issue that, you know, right. and I, my deep distrust of it is just always go, well, well there's something for everything, right? right. Like, yeah. you know, there's such a, yeah. such, such a product for absolutely everything that of course their main motivation is this is how they support their way of living, right? Right. Is right. this through this kind of selling of stuff and um you know <laughs> if if Kristen were on she would know that anytime someone says some kind of claim i'm i'm weird and i will like immediately jump to epsco host you know our yeah, kind yeah. of research database and i'm gonna be like all right let me see if i can find like five papers that right. describe that right. just so i can have a grasp like is that actually something or is it nothing at all and 95 percent of the time it's nothing at all right and the reality is i think that what I do in kind of being weird and being trained in multiple degrees and all that kind of stuff yeah. is not really um, feasible for most Americans, right? right? Like right. Uh, most people in general, not even just Americans, because A, not everyone has access to that kind of information. It's different than just a Google search, right? And, right? and uh, peer-reviewed journals can often be pretty expensive or paywalled in ways you know you can't get to. So my question for you then is, like, what is a way? Like, and I know that you care deeply about spiritual formation, and I think that's right. kind of ties into that to some degree. But, like, especially for those who would claim to be followers of Christ, when we're hearing these claims on social, but whether it's about politics or yeah. instead of doing uh, our pastors or whatever it might be, instead of doing that kind of knowledge attribution, yeah. I'm just picking that person often because I like what they say. Right, right. Or what they say just is what I've wanted someone to say. Yeah. Right? What is a way forward in kind of finding knowledge, understanding knowledge, 
attempting that and includes experiences, but also is not, you know, you need to be a researcher with logins to all these different databases to get it. Right. Right. So I think community is, is one going to be the answer. And, and also I think part of the explanation as to why these things can become so complex. Hmm. Um, and they're formative too. So, um, you know, think about Thomas or we'll call doubting Thomas. He, he wants this evidence from Jesus and Jesus gives him like a week before he comes and, and is with him. Yeah. And I think there's insight. He lets him sort of sit with that and wrestle with that question for, for a week. I think there's something really good about um, sitting with questions and working through them, uh, attending to what's going inside of me. Why do I want to come to know this? Um, am I threatened when someone makes a, a claim to know other than what I'm thinking about? Um, and these are ways, I think, of um, weeding out idolatry in our hearts. Um, so one, one part is, is um, even if I'm not an expert on a topic, there's something for me to learn in the process of just weeding through this stuff. Yeah. Even if it's a Google search. Why yeah. am I looking for this? Am I relying on something? Am I putting... Am I placing the role of coming to know something in this area as my ultimate point of safety? Hmm, yeah. That's a problem. You shouldn't expect that of it. Um, and and you all, at the same time, too, you're going to have to have this, which I think Paul you know, points out, knowledge puffs up, but the response he gives is knowledge about your knowledge, which is it's incomplete. Yeah. So, um, so it, this is one way of trying to get at the first question was, is what do you do with social media, everybody trying to sell you a product. For me, it's always, are they trying to get me re- to return to reality? Mm, what do you mean by that? Is the product just trying to like be the end? Or is, it, is the product getting me to a place where it's um, not filling the role of something that actually touches my life? Mm. So if something gets in the way of my relationship with my child, that, that thing they're selling me, I'm just going to think is well, that's just, that creates passivity and a block between mm. me and my child. Um, so is it go, am I going to outsource my parenting? Right. Am I going, you know, is it going to be listening to Mozart or is it going to be talking, sitting and being mm. with my child, listening to my child? Yeah. Uh, that's one. And I think that's the case too for um, theological or, or Christian philosophical or, you know, knowledge. Is it, is it pointing me to Jesus as someone to interact with and test these ideas by. Yeah. That's, that's for me, is, is the teacher pointing themselves to me? Is the book te- pointing me to, like, these five new ways of getting at life or this prayer that every other Old Testament scholar just missed and it's the magic one? <laughs> right. Or is it pointing me back right. to Jesus and his way of life, which I would say is, is a knowledge-based practice, it's coming to know Jesus, the person, as someone I can really count on. Yeah. His way of life as the as as the 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 light burden. Right. Um, so is it pointing me back to reality to experience God myself and others in community? Got PhDs in our in our community. Let's let's spend some time with them. Yeah. But I'm also big on the other extent, which is to say, like, the PhDs need to spend time learning from magnifying the ministry. Of others as a knowledge discipline. Yeah. The people, you know, the widower that went through the loss of 
of their spouse over a year's battle with cancer, they've in many sense like earned a PhD in understanding how it is that God meets them through that. Mm, And I, even though I study the problem of evil, I think I'm going to have a lot more to gain from that person. Right. And sitting with them and seeing how God has changed them as a person than I will from studying, you know, the theoretical stuff. But I will say, too, there are psychological studies um, that have shown that if a therapist has a, th- a well-thought-out theodicy, it actually helps them connect with the patient yeah, and helps them from becoming burnt out and similar for the patient. Yeah. Um, and then I should also say, too, I'm also very skeptical of, of psychology. Even mm-hmm. if I find, like, four studies on something, I- I'm still uneasy. It's, I, I want to see a meta-analysis here, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I I definitely don't have time to get into theodicy and go down that yeah, yeah, yeah. rabbit trail at all. But it, it's interesting because you know one of the things that I would also say as someone who has a PhD and someone who's waiting in that viva waiting fun period, right? Like um, one of the things that I've I've found is that we either use um, we either find people do with that knowledge attribution claim just looking because they have doctor yeah. or PhD behind yeah. their name as if all of a sudden they can speak into anything, right? Yeah. I think of, you know, there's a very popular kind of social commentator uh, was a professor in Canada, like every time, like, and he's like huge now, right? And uh, every time he talks about the Bible, I just start to cringe and I yeah. start to fall apart on the inside because I'm like, you are now using your space as an authority about something that you really don't know. Right. Right. Like, and it's very clear that you don't know it, but now all of a sudden you're kind of gaining all these people to listen to you because you, they have given this knowledge of future claim to you Yeah. because maybe they like your social commentary. They must like your biblical yeah. extrapolation. I wouldn't even call it exegesis, right? Just like, yeah. however you think that thing is doing what it's doing. And what's hard for me is I think a lot of times people don't recognize that just because someone has an education means that that education says that they can speak into something. Right. Right? Like right. to your point with dealing with the problem of evil, you know, I used to teach my students all the time. I, I said there's kind of three responses that I can give to someone who has gone through something terrible. I can try to go through this like philosophical problem of evil. Right. Like what is it in this very esoteric like way of can there be a god and can there be evil if that god is supposed to be good like going through these basic things and i can go through a theological one and i can try to create an account through scripture and try to give or i can recognize that they're going through pain and that they may not understand their own pain right and i said as especially these students who are kind of training ministry i'm like I don't think someone going through pain cares very much about the philosophical and oftentimes don't care about the theological right. when they're sitting in their pain. R- right, right, right. Like these, these aren't the right answers. And we can use our knowledge of one area very incorrectly. Oh, yes. In an area that seems like it can fit, but it's really kind of the right. you know, square peg round hole reality. I think that's right. And so, and I think that we're, what we're talking about is... is, is the use of knowledge to correct our misunderstanding of someone's use of knowledge. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, and again, these are, I think are character issues. Humility is a really important part of this. Um, what I expect out of myself and, and others. 
Um, so, you know, you get, you know, I get my PhD and like the next month people are treating me very differently. Mm. Or then I come out to PBA and, and now I'm a assistant professor and now, you know, I'm getting invited to preach at churches. But I mean, did I, am I much different than I was the year before? Right. Nah, but I just got some, some extra letters. Yeah. So that's a real responsibility to carry. And so when, you know, when students ask me questions, um, I'm, I, I try to be really, really careful in answering them. Um, and I'll just say, look, um, if you want me to answer as your professor, I'm just going to say that's not my area. I yeah. just can't. If you want to ask me as like a brother in Christ, I'll say, well, look, this is where I'm at on it. Yeah. But I'm not an expert on this. Right. And when I do talk about things from my expertise, I'm also careful to not talk about this is my view and I'm defending it. More so, well, here are the arguments yeah. that have led me to think about this. Now mm-hmm. you try them on. Right. Right. So I think that that's a responsibility that that anybody with any sort of authority that's that's wielded on a knowledge base, which I think all authority should be based on the kind of knowledge that you have, has to be really, really careful with. I like that, especially if we kind of move that again back to that kind of spiritual formation thing. Like here's here's a list of things and and here's the list of arguments. I mean, it's funny that you say that, right? Because I often, even in teaching at universities, often people ask, you know, these big questions, you know, is hell real? Yeah. You know, and oftentimes my response is, well, there's four main ways to think about right. hell and there's four different main theories and let's talk about them and, you know, strengths and weaknesses and, you know, not that that one's one that you can try on for yourself. Like, right. I don't know okay. if you want that, right? But but I mean by that is like, there is a sense in which I think knowledge wielded properly or knowledge in, engaged with properly does two things. One, it, it opens people up to all the different ways as much yeah. as we can. Here are the different things to think about when you're yeah. thinking about this thing. But the second thing is, like you're talking about, it, it's this experiencing of that knowledge. You know, I think last night you said it as kind of like the taste and see, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the actually kind of testing out or maybe the Pentecostal way of testing the spirits, right? Yeah. Like, But what we've often lacked within the church is the humility of the space to actually say, you can test these things out. Yeah, yeah. And if we do actually trust God. yes. And if God is actually the authority of knowledge, then I don't think he's afraid of us trying to figure it out by testing it out. Yes. You know, I, I, I say my favorite theologians, my favorite ones, are not the ones that, have, that wrote their magnus opus or their dissertation and they, and they had this point of view and then by the time that they died, they had that same point yes. of view. They're never my favorite. In yeah. fact, they're often the ones that I find the most stale and that I don't want to engage with. My favorites are the ones that I can see throughout their entire life. Hey, they started with this perspective, and then I can see that they moved to this one. Yeah. And then I can see that they moved to this one. And they're trying to understand, you know, it's actually one of the reasons why I like Origin so much is mm. because it looks like as best we can from the information that we have on Origin, since most of his stuff was burnt, mm. uh, right? Like, that he really was just trying to explore. He was trying to understand by asking weird different questions and trying yes. to understand in a way of like what is this thing yeah. what is this relationality with god? what is what is god uh especially in light of what we understand of the person of christ right right who is that person 
I think that Christianity actually allows us to be more in that camp mm-hmm. than saying you have to take this ten things. Yeah. Right. Um, one of the things that I I appreciate about kind of the move towards the tradition that I'm now ordained in is that it is a more liturgical tradition, but it's more like, hey, are you good with the Nicene Creed? Mm-hmm. Great, I'm good with it. Great, let's, that's, that's all that matters. But now we can talk about what we think we mean when we talk about the Nicene Creed, yeah. right? Good. Like there's actually space to go, what does it mean to say creator of all things seen and unseen? Right. Right, versus saying, you know, uh, well, you know, here's, you know, the other tradition I came out of, which was here are 16 fundamentals right. and you have to believe them just this way and it has to be right. just this way in order for you to be a part of our group. Right. Right. There's a big difference in the understanding of kind of what do we, what are we talking about when we're talking about knowledge? Yes. When we're talking about who God is. And I think God actually wants us to explore those things. Oh, yes. Because of Paul's statement, I can know some things, but I know them very incompletely. Yes. Right? Yes. And the other Paul, Paul Tillich, right? Like this idea that, you know, the Reformation lost what it was supposed to be doing. Mm. Reformed and always reforming, right? Yeah, it okay. lost that, and it still has lost that, right? Like actually saying that this is incomplete. This yes. isn't the right system. Right. For, you know, full stop, it's it's a flawed system, so let's figure out. Or what he said in... And saying that, you know, the human condition is that with one hand we can try to make the mirror clean while the other hand is making it dirty. Right. Right? And it's our job to kind of figure out where are we making it clean and where are we actually making it dirty. And we we are working with flawed, dirty cloth, so it's going to be a... And we should expect that. Right. If we take formation seriously, then, look, I'm starting at a place that's not where I want to end up. Yeah. Just like with the academic thing, like, I, I really hope that what I'm doing right now is not my best work. Right, which is a weird right. thing to say because you always want to make it your best. Yeah, but if but that assumes then that I'm not going to grow, and I really yeah. hope I grow. So I hope what I'm doing right now is not my best work. Don't tell your editor that. But, right, uh, right. You know, but but if I expect that I'm on this process of growth, and how I do my life come, flows out of my heart, then I'm going to have to own the fact and in humility and, and accepting God's grace that it's going to be a very imperfect project. Yeah, along the way, so so the person that's impacted me the most is um, probably Dallas Willard. Um, he mentored me for the last couple of years of his life, so as a person, but also his work. And the, what I loved about him is he he just thought about himself starting a project hmm. that was just a continuation of a project that happened way earlier that we've you know in the in the history of the family of the church that we've largely yeah. forgotten in the Protestant community. And he is, it was always, hey, if you want to know if this stuff is true, go try it. Yeah. Or if you want to know if what I'm saying is true, go ask my wife. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. you know, and so um, I, I think that that, that, and he was, it was always, you know, um, I'm not saying anything new. If I do say something new, I'm, you know, pointed out because I'm very nervous then. Yeah. So I think that's also the way that I would approach creeds or the history of the church is this is this movement, this family that God's been working through building on and I should take them seriously like I would I would hope if I I don't have I don't know my family but my family warned but hopefully I would look at my grandfather in a similar way look you've done life let me right. start with you right let, don't let, let me not start with whoever's on TikTok or right. you know um, 
let me start with the with the with the wisdom of of the church and let me start with okay these are the rails i'm going to play with and i'm not going to step outside of the nicene creed let's just start there and i'm not going to try to find how far i can push that yeah until i understand more of it right and then we can get into okay well what is really meant by jesus being fully man and fully god right. i'm committed to that but what is you know let's work on the details and I think with the point about origin is really good because there's this strong critique that Augustine, as brilliant as I think he is and as, as much I've learned from him, was actually the, the sort of a, the, the beginning of a problem mm. because the way that philo- Christian philosophers did what they did before Augustine was you only counted as a Christian philosopher if you were doing it within a community and being mentored by Christian uh, yeah. people in the wisdom. And, and he's the first one that comes along that doesn't come out of that tradition. Yeah. He wasn't, he didn't get trained by a, a Christian philosophical community. Mm. And these communities were working out these issues in, in, in different ways, coming to slightly different conclusions, but they still had community with each other. Right. So they were gathered around Jesus, his, you know, his essential teachings, and then they would work out things from there. But what their identity was found in was Jesus and what he's doing in the world. Yeah. And uh, and I think that's that's the thing we always go back to, and that that's a knowable project. Dallas would always say, "We just look, let's 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 go and test it on how the world shows up for us." Yeah. And God, that's what God wants to do. That's what will form you. Yeah, it's it's maybe elevating, again, and this is such a project. You know, it, it's one of those kind of projects that I feel like is so important that it's it's constantly kind of coming back up, again, and and what, by that I mean like the project of. Um, uh, the, the, the Eucharist, especially for Protestant traditions, yeah. right? Uh, evangelical, Pentecostal traditions, that you know we've lessened so deeply the power of the table of Christ, yeah. because we've just made yeah. it something to oh, we're just remembering who Jesus is, and I, I, I always I don't know struggle with that because I'm like, well, shouldn't you be doing that every day? Why do you need a little flat cracker and right. you know? grape juice or wine you know and I don't even get into the terrible little packets that people use right but like the Jesus yeah the the really I don't know it just feels very diminishing to the actual body and blood of Christ and we're like here's this like really factory made terrible little wafer thing that's got no flavor it's got nothing to it and you're probably somewhat fermented grape juice because it's been in the box like you know for years but um the actual project of the table of going that that's more than just remembering and it's more than just a kind of an attitude of the grace of god within us it's mm-hmm. actually you and i at the table together with yes. the grace of god right right and recognizing that whatever conversation we have today we have some disagreements but yeah. we're going to go to the table and we're going to actually partake together right. in the grace of god through through the sacraments and that's what matters. Then we can come back and go, okay, now let's let's argue a little bit more. Like, how right. are we different? Well, how are we thinking about this? Is there a better way, right? It it grounds us in something that's not our differences, but rather our right. similarity, right? I love that, yeah. And, and notice the way Paul talks about that, too. It's very serious. Like, some of you are following away, falling away because you've not taken this seriously. Yeah. You're approaching it in the wrong way. Right. And so... I think that goes back to the formation. We've got our ideas about things, but look, if I treated you well, if I've not treated you well, I got to go and reconcile before I go to the table. Yeah, that's a that's a 
that's a big thing. Right. And so notice, it, it's just so much easier, and this is just human dilemma, it's so much easier to push things outside of our need to tr be transformed in the image of Christ. So if theology is a checklist of things that I may not even believe, I just have to say that I believe. Mm, right. right? Um, or it's just a symbol that makes it the case that I don't have to take our relationship seriously when I go to the table. Yeah. So another test is, it, for me, is is what the church doing and, and, and what am I doing really pushing me to dying to myself and taking up the life of Christ, his way of living? If it's not, then maybe it's not something I should focus on. Yeah. Or maybe I've gotten a really thin conception of it. Yeah. Which is the disillusionment happening in the church, Right. I think, going on. is You read the book of Acts, and then you look at your church, and you're like, right. what? Right. And there's always a reason, right? Oh, we can't do it that way. Right. Like we can't like that. Yeah. That would be naive to think that we could. And that what that doesn't make sense to me. Right? No. There's all these different kind of like, well, you know, yes, we may not come together and share everything we have in common, but you know, we have this fund. Right. You know. Right. right? And it's just, it's. Um, I, I think that's one of the reasons why. And this is definitely going in a different direction, but one of the reasons why Jesus with the rich young ruler. I always love this story because it, it really is that all or nothing reality of mm -hmm. Christ where, you know, the rich young ruler comes up and I've, I've done everything. I followed the law. What do I need to do? And Jesus yeah. was like, give all of your money away and come follow me. And he turns away with great sadness because he had great wealth. Yeah. I love this, that story because in such contrast to so much of the church, he doesn't turn around and say, well, how about start with 10%? Right. Right. Like, why don't right. you start with 10% yeah. and give your quote unquote tithe and then follow me, and then we'll work on right. growing your giving muscle, like right. whatever the right. whatever we want right. to use. Or why don't you take that money and build me like a really big building? Right, right. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere nice for me to say this is my place, to, right. uh, my church, right. my, you know, look what I built. Right? Let's show how successful we are all through the world by right. this great temple. And I think, I think that's a, a really interesting kind of like, it's what makes this thing so hard and so easy. Right, like it's 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 easy in the sense of that that burden is is light, but it's also hard in the fact that it's burden, yeah. And we don't like that paradox, right? right. We don't like the fact that it's hard work and yet joyful, easy work, right? right? Like it's just it it grates at us because it speaks against the way in which culture tells us things should be. Oh, right. right. Like I work hard and then look at all that I get. Right. Versus I look, I work hard and look at all that I've been able to give. Right. Right. And not because of me, because of someone else. And I don't even need credit for what right. that's happened. Right. It makes a big. And it's the way we're trained in culture, too. Yeah. We're trained to not trust love in its real deepest mm. sense, but to, to trust our, be able to, our ability to manage and foresee how we can manage things. Yeah. Um, and there's great, you know, hubris there. And that that the what I always have to remind myself when things are hard or or jarring or painful in my in my formation in Christ is well let me look at the other ways and see if they're easier and they're not yeah so it's not that Jesus is this this it's not that there isn't a burden that it's that it's lighter than any other burden yeah and I always have to remind myself okay there's no other way that's that's easier because all those other ways are going to wreck me and everybody around me. Mm. But this project of of dying to self and taking up Christ's life can be very painful. Yeah. But there's a there's there's a reason for that. 
there's a reason because it's always giving up something that I held on to to keep myself safe. Yeah. And that's so scary. Yeah. Um, and I think that's I think that's a good clarification mm-hmm. of that story, right? Like, because some people can walk away, well, well, you just mean that then everyone should give away all their money. They should have any money. Then it's another work right. to earn. Exactly. Yeah, it's then it's just button. another check mark, right? Yes. But rather it's the thing that scares the rich young ruler the most yeah. to give up of himself. Right. right. So blessed are the poor. It's not go and give, you know, because then apply it to blessed are those who mourn. Yeah. Well, what if there's nothing going on in my life right now where I've lost someone or something to mourn that? Do I go seek that out? Right. It's not a checklist it's, of things. It's not a masochism that we have to yeah. Apply, right? Yeah. It's uh, here's the availability of God's kingdom you're not um, excluded because you're poor right or because you are going through severe mourning right or doubt right right um, yeah we have we could get into so many different areas and I would like to but we actually have to get you over to teach some classes here soon <laughs> um, I'd rather do this in some ways <laughs> so fun hey that's why I do it. Um, before I let you go, though, you know, how can listeners kind of follow along with the work that you're doing? If they're interested in some of the stuff that you're talking about, or that we've talked about, how can they kind of connect? Yeah. I'm really bad at that. Yeah, well, so yeah. I've got a website that I don't that I've not updated well. It's just brandonrickabaugh.com. I'm on Twitter. Don't say anything on Twitter. Um, I've got an. I, Instagram is more of what I do. I take pictures of what I'm reading or snap, you know, <laughs> yeah. snippets of what you know I'm working on. But it's also a lot of my family and church stuff. But yeah, it's, it's funny. You say, I literally was talking to someone yesterday about my Twitter. They're like, I, I followed you on Twitter. And I'm like, you don't think you want to? All I use Twitter is to complain to companies uh, when I need to complain about something because it's the only yeah. way they listen. I can shoot uh, an email about like, yeah. hey, you know, this is I'm having this problem. And they never respond. But if I say something on Twitter, it's like, oh, that's good. Oh, we don't want you to have that because you know it's such a public. Right. So yeah, yeah you don't want to follow my Twitter. Okay. My last rant of like twenty tweets about American Airlines and all my cancellations and stuff oh, are man. not going to be <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe we entertaining, but we yeah, commiserate. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, you don't have to deal with that today when you're flying back. <laughs> oh, <I hope> so. <laughs> that's no yeah. fun. But Brandon, thanks so much for being with me, man. I um, enjoyed having you here, and hopefully, we'll have you back soon. Thanks, man.